right, now we're live. Now we're live. <laughs> oh, boy. How is everybody doing? Welcome. Um, hola, I want to beat. Uh, Sergio, you're already on, even though you're commenting. Uh, Ron, what's going on? Hello. Uh, welcome. This is Show Me The Money Club live with Sergio, myself. We have a special guest today. Uh, we're going to get into all this in just a few moments. Uh, first, uh, we are going to talk about uh, our guest, Len Sherman. Dr. Leonard Sherman, uh, and you know he has written a couple of articles on Uber, their profitability, why it might not be profitable, and then you know some of the links that they could be going to if they haven't already started that we don't know about uh, to try to become profitable. Uh, so it's going to be a pretty interesting podcast or live show, however you want to call it. Um, so thank you very much for coming on. Um, also, uh, for anybody who's watching the replay. Uh, again, make sure you're subscribed, turn on all notifications so you'll be notified. We do go live every Tuesday uh, or just about every single Tuesday uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. Pacific. And uh, anything real quick before we get into it? Um, no, well, you just mentioned that uh, uh, Len Sherman, professor at Columbia Business School, probably yep. our uh, most esteemed guest until today. Um, Although we're new, we're eight. This is our eighth episode. It's a huge get for us. Uh, Len, thank you for having. I mean, coming on. Uh, I think I think it's going to be amazing that you have such an interesting view of uh, the business model of both Uber and Lyft. But today we're going to stick to mostly Uber. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, <laughs> um, Chris came up with the Lyft, describing Lyft, which was. They're like a little tree that doesn't get enough sunlight right behind Uber. <laughs> so <laughs> so we're going to stick to mostly to Uber, right? And um, so besides obviously being a professor at Columbia Business School for the last 11, 12 years, uh, Len has been uh, a consultant with uh, many major consulting companies and has done a lot of good work um, as far as straightening out certain of these companies. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to ask him Right off the bat, right? We're going to, I mean, you know, you have gonna, so many, you've written so many papers, you've done so many things. What yeah, I'm, I'm going to read the, I'm going to read his intro though first before we oh, get to okay. the questions. I, I, thought, so. I thought you were done with the intro. Okay, sorry. No, no, I just wanted to see if you had anything to get going before oh, we got, no, no, no. Before I we got started the or anything. I apologize. Okay, <laughs> no worries. All right, so yeah, let's get started and then we'll get right into uh, why Len is here and it's great. So thank you first, Len, for coming on. Sure. Uh, Len Sherman has over 30 years of business experience and academic research and teaching on growth strategy, innovation, and entrepreneurship at Columbia Business School. Professor Sherman teaches strategy for long-term growth and entrepreneurship in large enterprises, the MBA and EMBA students, earning the Dean's Award for Teaching Excellence in 2013. Uh, Sherman has published numer numerous articles and MBA case studies on the urban mobility and delivery sectors and on the tech, automotive, retail, and consumer discretionary goods industries. His book uh, on growth strategy, If You're in a Dogfight, Become a Cat, Strategies for Long-Term Growth, was published in 2017 by Columbia University Press. Sherman frequently writes articles on a range of business strategy issues in Wired, Forbes, and Entrepreneur Magazine, and has contributed expert commentary to the economics, <laughs> the economics, Oh my God, sorry. Um, the Economics, the Financial Times, Bloomberg, New York Times, and other business publications. Uh, Dr. Sherman has a BS in aeronautical engineering 
a MS in transportation systems and a PhD in transportation economics, all from MIT. So thank you very much for coming on and sharing your insight with us, especially when it comes to uh, Uber and some of the craziness in there. Thanks. Uh, okay. we, we, share, we share a common interest. <laughs> so Len, uh, let's get going. Um, yeah. So you, you've done a lot of work with a lot of different companies who needed your help, obviously, while when you were a consultant, right? And then you became, a, you know, academ academia at, at Columbia, a very prestigious school. So what interested you so much about Uber or uh, Last Mile Delivery or the TNCs in general? Wh why were you so fascinated about these companies? Yeah, well, it actually started in, in kindergarten. I was thinking about this. <laughs> you missed that part of my intro. No, but I was the kid. I was the geek that, who just loved. I, I think it's a, a genetic defect because... I'm not the only one like this. Where <laughs> from the time you're like that big, you love, in my case, it was airplanes. And I'd sit and doodle pictures of airplanes in kindergarten when the teacher was trying to teach us ABC, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I went on from there later in life and became very active and hopefully proficient pilot and did hundreds of missions, getting folks flown in from remote areas to big city hospitals and got all those degrees. And the consulting I did mostly over 30 years was to automotive companies, again, the transportation theme. And then towards the end of my uh, uh, run in the consulting profession, I, I moved into venture capital and uh, launched and managed a bunch of companies, the most notable being and the biggest failure was an online um, car buying service that I launched in Europe right in the the midst of the dot-com bubble. So with all that kind of working with big companies, some succeeded, most were struggling, and my own issues with uh, trying to launch a tech company, I said, you know, if I could get some really bright young men and women at Columbia Business School to, to not make the same mistakes that I've made and seen, you know, that would be a good thing. So, so and, you were the original Carvana. <laughs> uh, well, there was in the, on the new car side, Carvana. Oh, the on new car side, side. On the car side. Oh, yeah, okay. we were trying to kind of end run all the, the car dealers, and that uh, was bound to fail in retrospect. But anyway, um, so uh, when I was looking around, you know, a lot of business schools use case studies as, as a teaching method. Mm -hmm. I was looking for the ideal case study to, to teach the importance of business models. Business models make sense that you can make money uh, with the business model you have. There wasn't a better case on the planet than, than Uber. Uh, and, you know, everything about Uber was big. The, the, the uh, ego of its founder, the, the promises he made to change the world, the amount of money he raised, the amount of money he lost, the disconnect between the number of promises he made and none of them were delivered. And when I say he, I'm talking about both CEOs. I mean, so yeah. basically Travis had this vision and... Best I can tell, Koshisai, he has embraced, reinforced, and carried on most of the essence of what Uber's founding view was. And, uh, you know, what comes out in the case is uh, none of the assumptions they, they made made any sense. And there's a good reason why they have struggled to make money. And that goes for all of their competitors, whether it's Didi or Ola or Grab or Cabify, or you go down the list on the mobility side, and then you add the delivery side, whether it's DoorDash or Deliveroo and Uber Eats itself, uh, yep. for similar reasons. So uh, it's a it's a fabulous case. Uh, the kids learn a lot, and um, that's why I got interested. Cool. So, um, so you mentioned both CEOs. So let's just tackle that one for a few minutes. Um, 
what do you think the difference is between TK and DK? So oh I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just shortening it, but you know, you have to, yeah, you know, you, you, I mean, don't hold back, right? So TK and DK. Yeah. Um, well, two different personalities. I, I think it, we I can think. jump right to, to a very safe assumption that uh, we will not be seeing a Showtime limited series on Darako Shashahi. And I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> I mean that as a compliment because, yeah. because um, Travis is like eye candy. I mean, he just was this just wild and crazy guy, uh, just wore his, his, uh, just uninhibited behavior on the sleeve. He just reveled in it. And he also um, spoke his mind. I mean, he had nothing but derision, as far as I could tell, for drivers. You know, they whine too much, they complain too much, they cost too much, and I'm going to just wipe them out because we're going to get autonomous vehicles in here as just quickly as possible, and then we'll be done with them and we'll be making a lot of money. I mean, that's things that that Dara would would never say. So... um, I think it's important to make that distinction because Dara, and again, I'm in awe. I have never seen someone as uh, optimistic and always seeing the glass half full and always seeing the bright side of of any issue that he confronts. It's just breathtaking how well he does it. And it's so earnest. So he'll say, you know, in, in the depth of the pandemic, oh, man, this, the business is just shutting down. And I'll say, you know, we're we're just ideally positioned to do well in this pandemic because, well, on the one hand, we're a variable cost business. We're just a variable cost business. And, and, and you know, we can just sort of cut our costs. We don't have the drivers because no one's driving or moving. Uh, and then we have the eats bit. So everything's great. Everything's going to be great. And then uh, then we, we face a recession as we now you know, in a pretty murky area territory right now. And, you know, CEOs around the world are wringing their hands. Oh, man, this is going to be awful. And he comes out and says, no, we, we're ideally positioned. We're, we're yeah. recession. We're, it's going to be fine. And I just yeah. said, wow, this is just extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, so well, I, I give him tremendous credit um, for optimism, if not being um, truthful and okay. open. Oh, there you go. That's 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 a good point. That's a good point, right? So, so he can say, you know, anybody can say whatever they want. I mean, the, you know, it's a free country. But are they? Are, are is Wall Street is seeing right through what he's saying? Looking at you know the stock price. I mean, is that what's happening here? Because well, nobody's you know, nobody's well, buying other than him. Nobody's buying what he's selling. To me, it seems like because on well, Wall Street you have scoreboard. Scoreboard is your stock price. I know everything yeah. is going down, but. Uh, even before everything started going down, Uber was underperforming anyway. So are they seeing it? Are, is is this a, a business that's not what Dara, Dara, you know, makes it seem to be? So to me, it's like, it's pretty obvious. It is. Well, pretty, it's, it's your opinion. Uh, yeah, I mean, by, by any measure, uh, Uber has not performed well under either CEO, financially, I mean, just in terms of just the, the obvious uh, you know, measures of profitability, the measures of return on capital or negative return on capital and, and the stock right. price, which is the, the daily barometer. Uh, you know, people probably don't remember this, but in uh, in May of 2019, uh, Uber suffered what at the time was the biggest one-day loss in market value of any IPO that had ever hit the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, right. So that, that was a little daunting. Uh, you know, and the stock is 
kind of dribbled on as as high as into the what did it go into the sixties at one point? Yeah, at some point, um, very briefly. <laughs> but, but you know, so, but so, uh, but but when you raise the question is you know Wall Street buying it or not buying it? Keep in mind that if you follow the 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 equity analysts who you know who have a a, a big job to kind of follow and recommend or not recommend companies. One thing that's been astonishing to me is that through it all, from the day that they IPO'd through the ups and the downs, the, the, the number of analysts who continue to recommend Uber as a buy remains around 85% yeah. of all the analysts who followed the company. We're talking about dozens and dozens of, yeah. of analysts, and they, you know, they can give a buy recommendation, a sell, or a hold. And I'm not talking about, well, they, they sort of say hold. I'm saying the people who either say buy or strong buy runs about 85% of the yeah. some odd analysts. And, and, you know, the price goes up, the price goes down. And, and that figure of 85% say, buy, 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 no matter what, no matter when, uh, right. so it's the same. So who's to say, uh, who's buying it? I mean, the analysts still buy it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, but you know how Wall Street works. So you yeah, have to say I, buy, you have to say buy to get the business on the back end. So, yeah. to, you know, yeah. because, I mean, uh, while we're talking about the finances just a little bit, uh, I really wanted to ask you this. So Uber has about four billion in free cash and about yeah. eleven billion in debt. Right. Okay. Um, what happens? I mean, when is that going to be an issue? Is it or is it going to be? Because free money has ended. So when that comes, it will to, be uh, an issue uh, if and when they cannot reach uh, positive uh, cash from operations. I mean, because even before the deep freeze we're in now. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing this companies that need to raise money now that have a, a track record of poor profitability are next to dead. Yeah. So it, it really comes down to, will there be a reckoning? I don't know. Uh, but I know what would cause a reckoning. And that would be if and when the cash they have in hand gets drained by continuing Losses. cash flow losses, forcing them to have to come back to the market. And once again, say trust me success is just around the corner yeah so you yeah, had this mentioned is not that. the market you want to be yeah uh, absolutely not. it's not the market you want to be in the race to go money. once too many times yeah so uh you had mentioned um that how positive dk is right every time so i, I don't know if you watched the bloomberg interview that he did like uh, about a week ago um it's all over the place and then he did another interview short one on cnbc with jim kramer i'm sure you know who jim kramer is yeah. Um, you know, so uh, so in both cases, right, he mentioned something that hit me kind of funny that, uh, you know, as a as a simple mind, there are two businesses, as far as I'm concerned, that kind of recession resistant is, is pet business and then the kids business. Other than that, I don't see any business that's recession resistant or recession proof. He said we're recession resistant. So he goes, if there is a recession, uh, OK, no problem. <laughs> he goes. We, we will have to, uh, we can adjust. We can adjust our cost basis. We have a very low cost, no asset business model. You know, we'll just have more drivers come as a supply. So the ETAs will go down, but never talking about that. Will people still order $25 burritos or $30 three mile bar hop rides, right? So what is going to be, do you think the effect of recession on Uber, if any? Because according to Dara, he goes, it doesn't matter. Yeah, we don't care. Yeah, well, you know, it's a two-sided marketplace. So one could make the argument that uh, while it will clearly dampen demand, I mean, he from what little I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, because he probably heard more of it than I did, uh, he was talking about some switch from uh, 
people buying products to, into services and, and going back. If there is as deep a recession as some people fear, it will clearly dampen demand. I mean, it, for someone to look in a camera and say, no, no, demand, we're, we're going to have as much demand, probably more on the recession, that's, that's ludicrous. Right. Uh, but then the offset uh, would be, okay, but so many people are going to be unemployed that we can get more drivers at lower yeah. cost. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the way the, the the net effects, I would if if I were running his business uh, and I had a choice between operating in a robust economy or a recessionary economy, there's no question where I'd want to be, and it wouldn't be in a recessionary economy. So I agree. So in, in that sense, um, one more question, and then Chris has a couple of questions for you. So in that sense, I mean, um, did the you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I thought about you actually. In the, uh, did the pandemic actually help Uber? Because if they did not have, I think it helped the them eat- immensely. Immensely, right? That's oh, what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, huge. Yeah, uh, for two reasons. One, one that that Dara is only too happy to talk about was is it did uh, stimulate explosive growth of Uber Eats, uh, explosive growth. So uh, it wasn't profitable growth, but it was yeah, explosive yeah. growth. But to me, much, 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 I can't say much enough, more important, was it forced him to do what should have been done a long time ago, and that's to get rid of you know, all of these crazy investments that the company uh, had been making under his watch, right. more so than, uh, than Travis's, to become you know, the Amazon of transportation. And we're going to, you know, fly helicopters and and uh, passenger drones, and we're going to deliver um, uh, Uber Eats by by drone, and we're going to have scooters, and we're I mean, it just went on and on and on, and 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 we're going to uh, and Travis did start this, it wasn't Dara, but we're going to have our own autonomous vehicle research unit, and uh, to his credit, I give Dara credit, he he cut it all, he he. Got yeah. the hell out of Dodge, uh, and then on top of that, pulled back from lots and lots of unprofitable markets. He got out of uh, Eats in India. He got out of uh, I don't know, but when I looked at it, it was a couple of dozen marketplaces between mobility and delivery uh, to get his cost base down, which was the responsible, the only thing to do facing a deep, deep pandemic, you know, slam down of your business. So, in that respect. Forcing the company to do what they probably wouldn't have done otherwise has been hugely beneficial. And if they do get to cash flow, break even this calendar year, as he's promising, uh, a he big good. reason will be, on unsh- you know, on getting rid of all that junk that was uh, on the balance sheet before. All right, Chris, your turn. All right, so you you've written two articles with with pretty much the same. Uh, it was why can't Uber make money? Yeah. Um, and then you just made the article that just came out. Uh, for anybody who's watching uh, or listening in, the link is going to be in the description below so you can check out the article. It is a little lengthy, but there's a lot of great info in there. Um, but you just came out with a new article of why can't Uber make money revisited. Um, so to sum that up, why would you say that they can't make money right now? Well, the simplest answer is because uh, the same reason that I uh, pointed to in the first article that you referred to five years ago, nothing has changed. And I'll, I'll kind of share with your audience briefly what those things are. But but first, Travis, and now fully embraced and continued by Dara, 
the company was built on six fundamental assumptions about why they would take over the world and become immensely profitable and enormous scale. Uh, and uh, I tried to document what were those six assumptions and every single one of them has proven to be unfounded. They were unfounded when they were the assumptions were made and they're still unfounded today. Uh, and they largely apply to all the other companies in this sector as well. And it's the same reasons why, when we put it up and go through them real quickly, why all the other players haven't been able to make money. It's a crappy, crappy business and it's a crappy business model. So you put those two together, it's really tough to make money in this business. So maybe if you um, maybe put the first uh, slide up and we'll quickly segue to the second and I'll spend a few minutes just to, to remind your, your audience. Um, you know, the top line shows from two, you now the company was founded in 2010, 11, let's say two, early of 10, 2011. We're now about a dozen years in. I, I, you know, assembled data from at least 2014 till now. So the good news is, you know, the top line growth, even through the pandemic and through, you know, the last year, continuing growing this year, uh, they have been growing very strongly and, you know, doing. 16 billion dollars of, of revenue they're on track uh this year to to do 125 billion in bookings and um getting towards 30 billion if they keep the first quarter's pace uh, of revenue and they're delivering you know going to be 25 million rides and deliveries every day of this yep. year so it's by any way you look at it it's a huge business uh but you, you can't ignore the bottom half of this chart that says there's just no business that I can think of startup business tech venture uh, that has lost more money faster uh, in, in the history of U.S. business, and so we're talking about a company that raised and lost way more than twenty billion dollars in its development to date, and it's getting a little better the last couple of years, but um, they're still a deeply, deeply unprofitable. And if you say getting better means I'm still losing almost four billion dollars uh, of uh, net income in 2021, that's nothing to cheer about. So why is that? Why, why is Uber, why does this picture look like it does? So why don't you flip to the next next slide? So there are a lot of words in this chart. I'll, I'll, I'll try to go through them quickly, but it's important to try to understand because uh, this company has articulated each of these statements that are on this page as the reasons why they will be one of the most extraordinarily successful uh, tech ventures in history. And it starts with the, the claim they made that they're an asset light business. You know, we don't own our vehicles. We don't employ our drivers. Uh, it's, you know, asset light. And uh, with that, we have strong network effects. And putting those two together, we have huge economies of scale. And that means the business is going to get bigger and faster and less costly. And everything's going to be great. For those of you viewers who don't are familiar with network effects. That's a business where the more customers you have, the better the service becomes, which attracts more customers, which makes the service even better. And around and around you go and you get really big, really fast. That's how Facebook got fast. That's how Google got big really fast. The more searches you do, the better the searches were, which attracted more people doing searches. And around and around you went and then advertisers wanted to be on Google. It's, it's unbelievable if you have a strong network effect business, how good it could be. And Uber assumed and asserted, that's what we have. And then on top of that, they said, and then we're gonna have huge economies of scale, so we'll get way cheaper as we get bigger. 
And that was the case with Google and that was the case with Facebook. But both of those companies had essentially zero costs of bringing on a new customer. You know, someone else comes on Google for the first time, it doesn't cost Google a penny to serve that person and get, get ads in front of them. Ditto with Facebook. But in Uber's case, whether you are delivering the first ride or the 10 billionth ride, 70 cents of every dollar, roughly, is going to go right back out the door to your, your drivers. Uh, it, it's just not the same kind of business. And if you want to be an asset light business, that's great. But don't claim you have big economies of scale. On the network side, effect side, the reason why Uber doesn't uh, have the strong network effects they claim is two things. One is a lot of drivers, most drivers, you guys would know better than I, are dual apping, multi-homing, call it what you will. You know, they've got the, the two or more apps on their car and they're flipping back and forth. So it's not as if Uber kind of locks in its drivers as they get bigger and more and more people just go to Uber and ignore everyone else. They're constantly fighting for drivers' attention with other gig worker companies. Uh, and by the same token, a lot of customers do the same, that they'll flip back and forth looking for the best deal. So they just don't have the network and scale effects they claim. Second, they said, oh, we're going to have more money than anyone else and we'll drive everyone else out of business and therefore we'll kind of own the marketplace. Well, that just hasn't happened. It hasn't happened for Uber. It hasn't happened anywhere else. If anything, they've been driven out in several big markets like India and Southeast Asia. And even when that happens, little new players pop up and compete against the guy who's left behind. So this thing that I'll just have a winner-take-all outcome hasn't been the case and probably will never be the case. Third, they said they were going to deliver the trifecta of lower fares, attractive driver comp, and high corporate profitability because of these wonderful algorithms we have. Well, the fares have been going up pretty remarkably since 2018. And you know, people talk about the, the fares jumping the last year. Actually, Uber's fares started going up at a pretty significant rate starting in 2018 and have continued up ever since. Adequate compensation for drivers? Well, you tell me. I mean, <laughs> you guys hear a lot of complaints all the time that, that pay is inadequate. So they haven't delivered on that promise. And obviously, they haven't delivered on corporate profitability. So the third one didn't really play out. Four, Uber can just push governments around and do anything they want, and they'll never be regulated. Uh, that was true for a long time. Credit to Travis Kalanick. But more recently, whether it's London or New York or Seattle or other cities, cities are flexing their muscle and saying, you know, no mas, we, we need to get regain control uh, of our transportation systems and the compensation for very large workforces in our cities. Five, product line extensions will make us the Uber of transportation. We get into eats and other businesses and everything's going to get even bigger and better and more profitable. But in fact, those product line extensions have been a drag on profitability, not a help. And then finally, the combination of all the profits we'll make and the availability of capital will allow us to transition to autonomous vehicles and then off to the races to deliver the, the glory be of, 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 of ride hailing. And, you know, just not one of these factors has proven to be well-founded. Not one. Every single one of them has proven to be false. And against this list, you say, the question should be, shouldn't be, you know, why aren't they profitable? The question is to be, how, 
how can it not be obvious to a lot of the, the folks who have listened to these stories for all these years to not say, well, that doesn't make any sense. So anyway, that's where I come. Yeah. Well, um, so, you know, while we're at the, at the subject, um, you know, you talked about I mean, the other day I tweeted and then it got some reaction is that I said, uh, just like drivers, Uber is also in a hard place in Iraq. Okay. I mean, I'm trying to be uh, understanding of where they are. I don't listen to DK that much. I think he puts on a good show. I think he's a great salesman, but that's about he's a it. great salesman. He is. He's a Barry, Barry Diller protege. I mean, you know, Barry Diller wasn't too bad himself, you know, so mm -hmm. <laughs> from Expedia days. But anyway, so I said this the only time Uber is going to have enough driver supply is if we hit a recession because everybody and their uncle is going to be on the streets trying to make some money to put some food on their tables. That's the only time Uber is going to have massive supply of drivers. And then what is what does that solve though? So the, the, the hard place in Iraq is, for me as a driver, is when they show me the money I drive, they lose money or they take less. When they don't show me the money, I don't drive, there's shortage of drivers. So to me, it's like a lot of people are doing this, by the way. You know, the driver base is not as dumb as Uber thinks they are. Well, but you know? in all in all fairness, Sergio, you you obviously have um, financial reserves to allow you to be as discriminating as you've been. But as you just said, when a lot of people are literally, you know, facing, I just can't put food on the table. Yeah. Uh, they may not have that choice. Yeah, I, I, that's true. It's just a reality, and yeah. um, I think it. Uh, if the recession does get as deep as it may, and the layoffs we already are seeing get deeper, there's going to be right. people who just, I, I, I got to feed my kids. And, right. um, so, so uh, you know, I spoke to a transportation department official the other day, off the record. Uh, you know, we were just chatting about it. So he told me a couple of things. I, I just wanted to get your opinion on that. He says, Sergio, this is the way Uber's um, utilization factor works, which is completely different, by the way, than the driver utilization. If Uber has enough density in a city, right, that means 40% of all existing drivers are on trips and 60% are idling, waiting for the rest of the requests coming in. He says anytime that 40%, okay, um, or, or the 60% that's idling goes down to 20, 30, 40%, the city is going to surge. That's when they put the surge on to bring on more drivers. And says the other thing is, on the driver's side, when you have Uber at perfect utilization rates, that's bad news for the drivers. That's what I want the drivers to understand. So, you know, most people call it oversaturated marketplace, this and that. It's not oversaturated. It's what Uber has to do in order to get you within three to five minutes. Otherwise, your ETA, pickup ETA is going to go up. But then Uber's utilization rate being perfect is completely counterintuitive to what a driver should be thinking, meaning, you know, they go, yeah, oh, there's way too many drivers. No, actually, according to Uber, there aren't too many drivers. There is perfect amount of drivers for their system to work and pick up a passenger before the lift does. So to me, is, is you know, is it true? Do, do you really think those numbers are true that, you know, out of 100 cars, 40% 40, 40 of them are driving people around and 60% are basically idling as we call it in phase one, put their app on waiting yeah. for a request. Well, well, I, you know, first of all, um, I don't know, and I don't think you guys know, uh, because Uber has been uh, 
very reluctant to share meaningful operational data about what the conditions are in the major metro markets they serve. So we right. don't know. Um, you know, Dara will throw out a number like, you know, our average, uh, our average uh, driver compensation in many markets uh, is $39 per utilized hour. I heard that. <laughs> yeah, and I say, well, how nice, how nice for them. But what if their utilization rate yeah. is twenty percent? Yeah, exactly. What, what about, what about the, the way the world thinks about? I, I worked for fifteen hours. How much money did I wind up with, and how much yeah. per hour? So we don't yeah. know. We don't know enough uh, data on on utilization, actual right. utilization rates. We don't know on compensation, and so we're left in the dark. Directionally, I think what your uh, Fellow was telling you, uh, makes sense. But you know, the main thing to keep in mind is that Uber's incentives and drivers' incentives are quite different because Uber has, oh, you know, incentives to get more drivers on the road than they really need. It doesn't cost them anything in, until and unless they they accept the ride, and yeah. uh, you know, they get shorter wait times and you know more 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 demand. And and when they can't utilize a driver. That's too bad for the driver, but it doesn't matter at all. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I get this cross, cross uh, result going on that uh, yeah. is one of the tensions between drivers and Uber all the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, uh, as you know, we're we're a driver centric channel, right? So Show Me the Money Club is exactly, you know, teach the drivers or tell the drivers how to make more money. I mean, to me, you know, uh, this has become from being a full time business. You know, I used to drive full time in 2016. But then I figured I can't do this full time. There is no money in it, right? So at the same time, uh, <laughs> well, I think it was two days ago that IRS raised the uh, mileage deduction for drivers to sixty-two and a half cents. So Len, sixty-two and a half cents is more than what we get paid at base rates in LA. It's sixty cents. <laughs> so well, I'm going base, like base rates, as you 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 know better than I. I don't want to mean anything anymore because no, no, it uh, does. It does. This weekend I went out and drive. Drove. Yeah, there was absolutely no bonuses, no none, zero, no incentives for me. Oh wow! Okay, okay well, and I did I did twenty rides, but guess what though? Because of um, surge, right? I did twenty rides, all twenty were on surge. I still averaged forty bucks with sixty cents a mile. I have screenshots that are coming up. So to me, is like, but as a driver, you know, how do you? What do you think drivers should do? I mean, do you think? I know you're not a driver. I know you've never done it, but you know, we meet you and I, we talk quite a bit. What would you recommend drivers to do? Would you, I mean, you said if you can't, if you have to put food on the table, obviously you have to be the slave of the algorithm yeah. for what, what you need to do. But in most cases, you know, maybe people should just follow the system that says to them at 60 cents a mile with IRS deduction is 62 and a half. I'm losing money. I mean, it's clearly math if you can't figure that out. And, and to me, a lot of cities, by the way, are at 60 or below on Uber's base rates, and it doesn't surge in their city, and they're not getting bonuses. So I see the comments on the side all the time saying that right. I'm not making money. You live in L.A. You're lucky. You're this, you're that. What about the guy in Cleveland? What about the guy in Idaho, right? They're dying out there. I mean, it's become like a joke. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and Buffalo. Chris, you're in Buffalo. Is that where you are? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now we're above. We have sixty for Uber. It's sixty-seven cents a mile, yeah, but, and but then Lyft is seventy-one. But still, yeah. but, I mean, you're talking about cents. But the no, the reason I said it was irrelevant is my uh, 
observation. I'm not uh, uh, at all as meticulous as you've been, Sergio, in, in documenting and, and analyzing your driving experience. But my sense is that if you take uh, of your total comp gross compensation over hundreds of trips uh, over the last several years, that the percent of uh, your compensation that comes from one type of bonus, a, a surge bonus, a, a CRB, a quest, yeah. or whatever the, the, the complex mix of, of available bonuses are, bonus-based compensation compared to your base compensation, uh, I think it's gotten much greater. So w what drivers can earn now is much more dictated by the bonus availability than yeah. what the base rate is or isn't. That's what I think. Yeah. But you, you 100%, no. No, 100%. I mean, uh, about, you know, I yeah. read the article last week, 30 to 40% of a driver's yeah. income depends on bonuses. Yeah. So if the bonuses are gone, then they're dead. I mean, to me, it's like, go do something else. Um, but well, they, you so, know, so to answer your question, yes, what do I think drivers should yeah. do? Yeah. And, I, you know, I made, um, let's, let me answer kind of the conclusion of my, the paper you referenced that yeah. uh, I just wrote. You know, what do I think? Uber should do, and therefore, what do I think drivers and yeah. riders should do? Yeah. What Uber should do is two things. One is, and it's one of the, the kind of strange things I, I try to convey to my students, uh, they need to shrink to grow. It's going on one of these weird strategies that you know, yeah. said, what are you talking about? Shrink to grow, that makes no sense. But if you take a company that is really, really big, I mean, huge, like General Motors uh, or Lego in, in uh children's toys. When you take a company that is a massive market share leadership and Uber, and nonetheless, they're losing money consistently year after year. I mean, something really is screwed up in, with that company. And uh, the best turnarounds and only cases where companies that get into that pickle can, can get things back on track is to say, we got too much junk and weak aspects of our business we've gotten too big and fat and lazy and we just got to get rid of a lot of junk that's okay. weighing us down and you 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 drive the business back down down to the best pieces the core the found it's like when you build a house if the house had a really weak foundation you want wouldn't want to keep adding floors on the top yeah. you want to shore up that foundation and they started that to the point we made earlier in this call about the, the pandemic forced dk to get rid of a lot of junk He's still got some junk in that, in that yeah. portfolio of Uber Eats and Uber businesses, and um, they got to go. He's got to just get this company down to a manageable, profitable core, and then sort of figure out how to build from there. That's point one. Point two, how do you make money when you're losing money year after year after year? Well, in the simplest answer, it's you got to raise prices and cut costs. I mean, it's not, it's not that complicated. But- Uber has the opportunity to not do that by brute force because yeah. it is such a competitive market that, you know, you can't just say we're going to raise prices and, and we'll get all the, the benefit. But they could do it surgically by what I call price discrimination, which is to say they know so much about their passengers, which ones accept any price, whatever, whatever Uber throws out I'm there. Yeah, bring it on. I'll pay. Doesn't matter. And there are some who say no way. And they, they flip out and they find a cheaper way to go. Uh, and the same is true of drivers. They know which drivers yeah. will pick up the crumbs of base rates that they offer. And they know people like you who they <laughs> show you the money. And why, why would they want to 
you know, give away bonuses to people who are going to drive without it. So they can be uh, very effective uh, by putting in place more and more policies where they're, you know, individual by individual, setting prices and setting pay rates. And they they don't want to talk about this. Do Uh, you really think that exists? I think it does. I think every driver, we have a file, we have a file somewhere. And then we have our own algorithm. It goes, Sergio is going to decline all these rides anyway. Let's just send him this one. And then the other one goes, oh, this ant accepts everything. He's a diamond ant. So I'm just going to send him all the shit rides because he's going to accept it and no bonuses for that guy anyway. Do you really think that happens? I mean, are they really that mm-hmm. deep into this algorithm stuff? Is Uber? Yeah. Oh, well, I think so. They are absolutely that deep into, you know, as I, I wrote in the paper, one a uh, very senior executive who was up to his eyeballs in, in the design and, and uh, redesign of their algorithm said, uh, truthfully, he said, uh, for Uber, data is in their DNA. It's just part of who they are. They manage the company with you know incredible analytic rigor. They're just yeah. figuring out, and they're constantly analyzing tens, hundreds of millions of, of records. I mean, they know better than anyone which of their passengers are more or less price sensitive. Yeah. They have already acknowledged quietly, but but it's on record that they do what they call route-based price discrimination. So if someone orders a ride from an affluent area to the airport in the morning, yeah, it's probably on a business trip, you know, we, we, we can jack the prices up. If someone's coming off a graveyard shift in a factory part of town, going back to a low-income area, they need the ride, but we know they don't have a lot of money. So on that route, you know, we'll keep the, the prices down. They, they acknowledge they're doing that, but that's that's just the starting point. They, they have enough information and analytical rigor to figure out individual by individual, not neighborhood by neighborhood, you know, which folks could tolerate a little more of a price bump or not. Um, as for the drivers, you know, again, anecdotally, you talk about the number of cases where, you know, the bonuses get throttled and, and you see different surges in someone else. I, I, I would, I'd be very surprised if they're not taking advantage of the opportunity to practice price discrimination on both sides of the marketplace, both for right. passing. So given that, now that's what Uber can do and should do. Then then the question is, what should drivers do? Look, uh, I don't begrudge Uber looking out for their own interests. They have an urgent, urgent need to show the street that they can start making some money. Yeah. They should do what they can do. But that means that, let's start with passengers. Passengers are lazy. <laughs> too many passengers are lazy. And there's well, some things out there that you you can on any given ride. It's the few times I use ride sharing services, I wouldn't think of taking a ride without using this uh, app called Obi. Obi, you 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 pop on Obi, you tell them where you want to go, and you just see the instantaneous. This is the price you're going to get on Lyft, on Uber, and several in New York City where there's several other ride services available. Uh, those as well, and you'd be surprised how often the price differences are quite large. Oh, I know. Well, I, I know would that. You, yeah. How would you do that? I mean, it's just lazy not to do it. Every year I tell my students, um, I, I always ask my students, I set them up to show how they, they are not being honest with themselves or me. I say, how big do you think the price diff- difference is, uh, you know, on any given trip? If you took a, uh, the next hundred trips and you, co- and you took the time to, to uh, compare Uber and Lyft, how close together do you think the prices would be within, you know, plus or minus 5%, 10%? 
25, 50. And they always say, ah, within 5 or 10%. And then they always say, yeah, we know that because we check. And then I show them the real data. You got to be kidding. You'd be shocked how often the prices are. 100 percent. It's 100 percent <laughs> plus. So yeah, that's yeah. As as for drivers, it takes a little more effort and a little more rigor. But uh, you know the things you guys uh, preach all the time on on this podcast and and other uh, resources on uh, the rideshare guy and and then some other apps like uh, the the Gridwise group. Gridwise, uh, yep. They're really. Uh, has some useful tools for drivers to track what they're doing and, and analyze what they're doing and make some more informed decisions about when they should drive or not. It, it, it's a jungle out there. Everyone's got to look out for their own. That's all I can say. So I, I have this other question for you that I thought about yeah. the other day, and uh, you're the perfect person to ask this to. So at 20 bucks, 22 bucks a share, Uber is about $44 billion market cap company. Okay, mm-hmm. Far cry from where they were, the IPO, this and that. Right. And then I'm going to ask you a couple of questions our viewers are asking. Um, so at $42, $44 billion market cap, yeah. honestly, I don't know what they own. So I don't think they own anything other than a, a, at least some AWS servers, probably, which all the information goes on. They don't own cars. Obviously, they have the workforce that they have to pay. All, you know, great. Yeah. Where is the value in Uber? Is it in the data that they've collected over the last 10 years? Is it in yes. the brand? Is it in the brand? What is it? Is it is it just that? It's brand and data? Well, it, it, uh, it's, it's one of the most recognized global brands in the world. You know, you can be in have, Istanbul, yeah. Turkey. You can be in London. You could be in um, Buffalo, New York, or any place in between in, in, uh, on uh, almost every continent. Almost every continent. Uh, and Uber is just a household name so they they do have brand salience if, if people are going to sort of carry one app on their phone it's going to be uber so that's yep. that's point a but point b and it's um goes back to this comment about data is in their dna they have more um information about the stakeholders in their ecosystem than anybody and that's why i i just can't imagine that they would not want to exploit that advantage as as much as they can. I mean, what's holding Uber back? What would hold Uber back? What would hold them back is it's it's considered not it. it it's kind of icky when you you, you you say you know we accept price discrimination all the time. You want you want to go to a movie on Friday night versus uh, Wednesday uh, afternoon? You're going to face a price difference. You want to fly home to see Mama on Christmas? You know rather than in late January, you're going to pay more for them. We, we understand that. Uh, and people accept that. And there's just no, no, no one has any problems with that. But, but when you, you acknowledge that I'm going to use a, a bunch of information I've collected on you and your behavior and your habits, and I'm going to yeah. use that to you know, charge you different than the guy right next to you, right. that pisses people off. Yeah. And, and the same would be true of drivers. If there's a system, if it's baked into the algorithms that Sergio's going to get a better deal because I know I have to show him the money than I'm going to give to this guy who needs the money more. Yeah. Uh, that pisses people off. So there's a reason why, to the extent they're already doing it, they're awfully quiet about it, and they would have to stay quiet about it. So, right. you know, you weigh the risk, but I, I also see the urgency uh, of their need to generate near-term profitability has never been higher. Yeah. And uh, this is the, the best asset I see that they have in their arsenal. So. Um, 
the, 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 the asymmetric information advantage that they have is so huge that mm -hmm. maybe that will take them to profitability. Other than that, I don't see it, personally speaking. Um, the other thing is, you know, I read your wonderful book um, from 2017. <laughs> if you're in a dogfight, become a cat. Okay? Yeah. Wonderful title. So mm -hmm. um, did Uber try to become a cat and failed? No. Um, yeah. They, 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 well, they definitely were a cat. I mean, they yeah. radically, fundamentally changed the, the, the face of urban mobility around the world in, in a, at a scale and at a speed that's astonishing. I mean, let's give credit where it's due. Uber yeah. went from zero to $10 billion in revenue a lot faster than Amazon went from yep. zero to $10 billion. One of the reasons was because there's nothing better for rapid scaling around the world than an asset light model. You know, you don't need to build factories. Who needs factories? You know, you don't yeah. need to hire employees for those factories. You don't need to, you know, invent things like uh, uh, a Kindle e-reader. It takes years to develop. You just, just get it out there, you know, asset light stuff. So, um, they were definitely a cat. Um, but, you know, the problem is that the very things that were so effective in helping them rapidly scale and, 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 and grow their revenue uh, created a business model that had just fundamental weaknesses that we're seeing the results of to this day. So uh, they, they didn't take the time to make the, the, the business they were building you know, they would talk about moats. Does this company have a moat against competitive yeah. you know, replication? Uh, and everything they did, to their credit, helped create uh, a, a rapidly growing business. It was very attractive for other people to copy, and it was very easy to copy them because, you know, they didn't invent the smartphone. They didn't invent the wireless connectivity. Yeah. They used Google Maps. I mean, everyone could do all the things uh, that, doing, that, yeah. that Uber did very easily, can and do, and that's just eats away at the ability for them to you know, build a business with a foundation for long-term profitability, which is what my book and my course and all that's all about. It was too easy, too fast, and there you go. Well, I, I read your book, obviously, and then I highly recommend anybody read the book uh, if you're interested. Yeah, in I, I, I want to just, uh, there's one other growth. thing I want to throw in. And, and so, you know, who who is, who is kind of building a, a more sustainable solid foundation you know in these two businesses in the mobility sector in the uh delivery sector and and th there's two companies i want to give a shout out to that i think are walking down the right road uh they're not going to become as big and grow as fast as uber but but they're building the foundation to to really ha have a go at a sustainable business on the delivery side, uh, the, the company that's really caught my eye, not well known at all in this country because it's it's Dutch-based and also now in Germany, uh, is a, a grocery delivery company called Picnic. Okay. And what makes Picnic different than any other delivery company I'm aware of is that they have completely redesigned the entire supply chain of grocery delivery from beginning to end in a highly asset-intensive, asset-heavy vertically integrated, we are going to own and redesign every way grocery delivery works. So how does this work? So they say, okay, we're going into city X and they announce it in advance, months in advance. We are going to be in whatever, um, Munich, Germany, starting in two months. And they build up a waiting list. No one can 
could get the service until they're cleared from the waiting list. And what they're doing is they're building up enough density mm-hmm. in each little neighborhood in and around Berlin that uh, the day they go live, they have enough density that they could schedule shipments uh, from the warehouse where they pack the groceries to the homes in one big loop, and they can complete 14 deliveries per hour. So compare this to Instacart. Compare this to a restaurant, Uber Eats. Or Those guys are lucky to do two deliveries an hour. It's just yeah. inherently expensive. We're going to sit there, and when we get an order, we'll race out, try to get it together, and bring it out, and maybe we can do two an hour. Compare that to the cost of doing 14 an hour. It, the costs are way, way lower for delivery. Yeah. Secondly, since you have to order the night before to get delivery in the window for the next day, they know exactly which products that they'll need to get you know, onto their warehouse shelves to uh, deliver the next day. So the amount of wastage of the food they have to throw out because they were overstocked or whatever you know, goes to almost zero. So the whole point of the oh, and then they use special delivery trucks so that they load the trucks in the sequence that the orders are going to be delivered. And, the, you know, the guy drives out the, the, the right uh, basket is right in front of him every time, puts it on the right. Everything about the way they've done it in terms of uh, changing the way the supply chain works makes that an incredibly efficient operation. Efficiency, I am yeah. urging them to come to the U.S. because... Instead of saying we can get you delivery in 10 to 15 minutes when you run out of diapers, this says, no, slow down. We're going to do it. Order the night before. and we'll... So the net result is no delivery charge, zero delivery charge, cheaper prices than if you drove to the supermarket to buy the same basket of goods and drive them home. And because of the savings, the company can still make profits. So It's, it's know, called Picnic, right? Is that what you said? B-I-C-N-I-C in the uh, Netherlands and, and Germany and hopefully the U.S. Yeah, I, I mean, Amazon Fresh is trying to do something similar, but I don't think they're going to, you know, they're opening a whole bunch of, they took over all the Whole Foods ones and they have the same delivery idea. But, you know, I don't know what this is that that everybody's in this rat race about just like it was before. Oh, now 15 minutes or 10 minutes or one hour. I'm like, what are you guys doing? I mean, this is nonsense. Well, there's a right? cost associated with doing that. And, exactly. And how many people are going to be willing to pay in a recessionary market that kind of yeah, thing? Exactly. Nonsense. Get your ice cream fixed in 10 minutes. Yeah. So. so I have one last question for you yeah. before we let you go. There was a, there, actually there were a couple of questions. One question, you may take it, not take it. Um, uh, one question was, uh, is Uber a Ponzi scheme? I... I, you don't I, have, I, I didn't get that either, but I just throw it out there. I, I, that doesn't mean anything to me. Doesn't mean it. Okay. Second question is, we have an avid viewer. Um, he said, I'm sure maybe you read it, but I was going to ask you the same question as the last question anyway. So I have this magic wand. I strike you with that magic wand and you're the CEO of Uber tomorrow. Yeah. What would you do? Uh, I told you, it's a gross oversimplification, but at a high level, I think there's two fundamental uh, pieces of the puzzle. One is they got to shrink the growth. They just got to cut the business further. They started doing that in 2020. They got to do it more. They got junk in this portfolio that are hopelessly unprofitable. And I know it's painful to walk away because then you say, well, we, we lost all, so much money in Pittsburgh on food delivery, whatever it is that you decide you're going to cut. And, and if we walk away, then the other guys are going to get all the business. Uh, but what what you lost is sunk. I mean, can you make money going forward? You know, get the network smaller where you can have a, 
a, a profitable smaller base. That's one. And two is raise prices and lower costs. And I already shared with you the, the mechanism yeah. I thought they would uh, be in the best position to use to exploit that advantage. The true advantage they truly have, not this network, oh, we have network effects and we have scale oh, economies. Gosh. They don't have a com big competitive advantage of that, but they do in the mechanism we talked about earlier. So those are the two things. I think I think in the U.S., to be honest with you, on the ride share side, in a lot of cities, I think they're profitable, uh, and even on a free cash flow basis, because you know they started testing this thing about three months ago in 25 cities. Um, I'm getting a lot of screenshots from drivers. Their take rate that their, their take rate has gone through the roof. What the cities that they have gotten rid of the rate card, and now they introduce the upfront price to the driver as well as to the passenger. Their take rates are astronomical at the moment. So. If they, you know, blanket the whole country with the same system, I think in the U.S., although maybe not every city, well, but well, I think well, that well, will be probably The take rates can only be astronomical if they are successful in selectively raising prices for consumers where they right. think they could get it and lowering prices for drivers. Yeah, exactly. Good news, yeah. bad news, bad news on both sides. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. what I've seen, what I've seen is in a lot of screenshots is that even if they did not raise the, 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 the prices astronomically or another 10, 20% yeah. on top of what it is today, the driver pay has gone down. And, 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 you know, drivers are not understanding it because there is no, you know, in the old days we had the per mile and per minute rate. We could figure out yeah. 10 mile ride 10 minutes right we know what we're going to get paid approximately right. now it's like a number that they throw at you and they go like the algorithm goes oh you're going to make 10 bucks on this take it take it you don't take it the next guy will take it for 10 50 and then my algorithm will sell it and then take the most amount of it and who's in a better position to, to do those things than anyone else yeah in the best position possible yeah i agree with you so um you know our hour is up but i i can't thank you enough and last, last question. Do you think Uber, do you think, we have one minute. Do you think Uber is going to be profitable, as Dara says, by the end of I the do. year? I do. I do think they'll be profitable. You think I so? think they, because they have no choice. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, one of the things about being a great salesman that Dara is, and he's a great salesman, is he he is, will always do what he thinks will sell. And when it was, it was uh, when, when the story that the market wanted to hear is we have enormous growth potential, boy, did he sell that story hard. He now knows he's got to, He's got to deliver, not just talk about it, but deliver yep. profitability. And I think he'll do what has to be Ever done. it takes. Yep. And, and Bad news. He, he Bad news, drivers. <laughs> I think he'll, it will, but it'll be at the expense of, of growth. He, yep. he'll, he'll, he'll leak out some, some profits and cash, positive cash flow, but forget those 20, 30, 40% year-on-year -year growth. That's not going to happen. Not at the prices he's going to have to charge. To not the prices. Okay. Bad news, okay. drivers. You heard it from the professor. <laughs> Bad news. Anyway, we thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm sure we'll chat again at some point. But I, I have one last question for you guys, and I, oh, I'm okay. going to throw it out there, and I'm going to leave it for you guys to execute. But one okay. thing I think would be a tremendous value to your audience is uh, ask your, your audience uh, to share with you uh, the questions that they'd love to ask Dara. And uh, and maybe you could post it out there and, and see if Dara will, will answer, you know, things like, do you throttle um, any of your bonus programs? And, you know, are, are, are you charging different? What What is the actual distribution of driver pay per online hour, not 
for utilizing just things okay. that simple things right but you whatever. know we may be getting a uber executive on smtmc shortly soon we're working on Good. it be not, not dara <laughs> but uh, <laughs> somebody up there so you know when we do that i'll hit you up with some questions that you may have yourself but, right uh thanks again i we appreciate it um have a great rest of your day yeah you too Let's take care Thank guys you. Thank you.